Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And Currently, I'm on the road in Winnipeg taking part in the Fringe Festival there. Winnipeg is centered right in the middle of Canada, and it's given me an incredible opportunity to spend some time at the Manitoba Legislature, which is in Winnipeg, and also to connect with Frank Albo, who has spent the last few years decoding uh, the actual Manitoba legislature itself and what it actually is. And Frank will be revealing that to us on the show today. So, Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me as a guest. So, Frank, perhaps you could begin by just telling us a little bit about your academic background that, that you that you brought all your information from to do this work. Okay. Um, well, uh, I hold several degrees, um, uh, embarrassingly five in, 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 in most desultory uh, disciplines from uh, early Christian origins and uh, ancient Near Eastern languages uh, to Western esotericism, where I did my master's degree at the University of Amsterdam. It's the only program in the world where you can actually get uh, a graduate program degree in um, Western uh, mysticism and esoteric philosophy, the Hermetic tradition in general. And uh, from there, uh, I did an MPhil at the University of Cambridge in the History of Art and completed a PhD in the History of Architecture. And the last 10 years of that research uh, had all been inspired, uh, and my, my work, my degrees, had all been inspired by um, trying to understand the mind of the architect of the Manitoba Legislative Building, who was, uh, his name is Frank Worthington Simon. He's a British architect, rather unknown, um, uh, uncelebrated, uh, despite his extraordinary achievement and genius uh, in his mind and where he uh, devised this building um, in the center of not just Canada, as you mentioned, but actually North America. The legislative building is the near geographical center, exactly latitudinal and longitudinal center of um, Canada and the United States. So uh, well, in that sense, it's sort to, uh, sort of a, a central of a hub building of and the whole of North it, America. He de- designed it in the most extraordinary manner. So, so how did you actually get involved in the first place? In, in how did your consciousness become aligned with this uh, need to, to decode? Well, I was writing my, my thesis paper on a element of um, ancient magic in a modern context, and I spotted these two um, Egyptian sphinxes on the roof of the building, which uh, on the surface bear no rela- uh, relationship to Manitoba's history and culture. And uh, based on this one curious glance a decade ago, I thought to myself, well, what are they doing there? And I think like countless other voyages that people take uh, all the time is that uh, so many things can be spawned by the most rudimentary question. And mine was simply, why are they there? And then from that day forward, asking a number of other questions, I was led down a rabbit hole of hermetic discovery and enchantment. So we've mentioned the fact that um, that Winnipeg is the hub or the center of the whole of North America. Was the actual site of the legislature within Winnipeg put on a particular spot for purpose as well? 
I've never been able to determine that, and that's not really my forte. I um, I was chiefly concerned with um, uh, architectural principles, ideas, and uh, uh, concepts that had uh, a historical origin that I could trace to because I was working within uh, the academy, and, and uh, this required that I needed a footnote, whether it was in Latin, Greek, or German, but I needed to show that there was a tradition of knowledge that had been lost and that this architect was... Uh, uh, a member of in order to show um, basically what he was doing. See, he was reconstructing um, uh, King Solomon's temple and countless other uh, sacred works of architecture because he believed that architecture, among all other known disciplines, had a way of being able to um, change or ameliorate the soul. That architecture has this most profound quality that walking through buildings that have been divinely designed can actually have an imprint on you. And uh, he considered himself a, a, a uh, the last of a tradition that had gone back, at least in his mind, from the builders of the Great Pyramids to his own age. And when you say the last, a dying breed in that sense. Oh, yes. I, absolutely. I think that uh, the, what makes the, the Manitoba Legislative Building unique on many fronts is uh, that it, as far as I can tell, represents the, the last work of architecture that has incorporated the level and depth of sophistication of uh, architectural knowledge that it does. Um, I think perhaps before that, uh, it would be uh, St. Finbar Cathedral at uh, at Cork, which was built by um, uh, William Burgess in Ireland. And then before that, there was perhaps another building. Um, I, I, I had some ideas about that. But I think that there has been a tradition of uh, of architecture that we have inherited that is under siege and has been lost. And um, every now and then you get the, the, the spring of genius that has uh, tried to maintain it. So, so why are the sphinxes on the top of the building? <laughs> well, not simply as decorative ornament, but they, they bear an inscription on their chest, and this inscription is uh, uh, grammatically a invocation to the, the sun god in Egyptian. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had taken Middle Egyptian as part of my uh, my graduate degree in Near Eastern languages, I would have never noticed it. And it looks on the surface decorative, but it's actually a um, um, uh, like a prayer to the sun to draw down power into the building. And as far as I know, there's there's uh, no other building where laws are enacted that has this this uh, level of knowledge. So, Frank, why don't you uh, begin a, a bit of a journey, and I'll leave that up to you how you choose to do, whether it be inside or outside the building. But take our listeners on a, on a bit of a journey okay. and, and expose the secret for them. <laughs> okay, well, I think it's first important to kind of contextualize why Winnipeg. It's like the Bethlehem, the least among cities, as it were. But there was a time uh, when the building was built at the turn of the 20th century where uh, Winnipeg was the fastest growing uh, uh, city in North America. The, 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 the property values were uh, far in excess of the same size comparable uh, uh, buildings and that you'd find in New York or, or Chicago. So there was a time of great prosperity and boom in Winnipeg 100 years ago. And as a symbol to celebrate that, uh, the um, early legislatures of Manitoba spared no expense in getting the best architects, designers, and craftsmen to work on it. And it was an international competition that was won by the architect that I mentioned. 
So he designed the building, which on the surface looks like other uh, state legislative buildings, whether uh, in the U.S., Canada, or even uh, overseas, uh, borrowing the elements of classical architecture, ionic columns, pediments, uh, 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 domes, even with an effigy on the top. Um, as, but what makes his particular building unique is that he also incorporates the ideology of these temples. And so uh, when you walk through the building, you get a, uh, a history of world sacred architecture in one single building. You learn about the elements of, of Greek architecture, of Egyptian, of Roman, of Babylonian. You're introduced to the mysteries of Freemasonry, for instance, and uh, uh, the hermetic uh, knowledge of finding the Philosopher's Stone. So he's incorporated this kind of hieroglyph of world uh, uh, um, sacred uh, architecture and um, Western mysticism in, in, in a single building. So you walk in, there's this wonderful pedimental facade, and uh, the, the first room you encounter is what's known as the Grand Staircase Hall. Uh, it's flanked by these two uh, giant bison, uh, which on the surface seem to suggest that they're the totem beasts of, uh, of Manitoba, the emblems of the uh, indigenous people, uh, the Plains Indians. But uh, they're also evocative of something else, which are the uh, the sacred bulls that protected the entrance to a holy place. And then around in this room are other apotropaic icons, like a bust of Medusa, uh, Bucrania, which are cattle skulls, uh, a bust of Athena, and, and snake uh, ornaments mental snake heads, and these are um, kind of signifiers as to what you'd expect to find in the first order of a temple, a very old ancient convention where temples were divided into um, what's known as um, their tripartite. You'd have a room of protection, an altar in the center, and ultimately a holy of holies, and this building follows those conventions. So as you move past the Grand Staircase Hall into uh, the rotunda, you're introduced to uh, the mysteries of, uh, of Freemasonry, like laid out Right into the um, uh, uh, the mural work are uh, elements of the Masonic degrees, and behind them is a uh, an illustration of the Passion of Christ, for instance. So you find all of this in in, in the rotunda, the giant domed interior, and uh, to the left of that is uh, a room that's only opened once a year. It's the the um, legislative uh, um, it's not the legislative assembly, but it is the office of the lieutenant governor of, or the left-hand governor of Manitoba. And this room corresponds to the exact dimensions of uh, the Holy of Holies of Solomon's Temple, as it's recorded in the Book of Kings. So uh, it, it's very hard to use this, use kind of adjectives to describe yeah. this visual panoply of ideas, but uh, that, that's a pretty good introduction. On the dome of the building is the glistening golden boy, who is really uh, Hermes Trismegistus, the, the patron of, of alchemy and all occult arts, and his ideas actually are used to regulate the design of the building. So the notion that numbers have power and you walk down every hall in the building, you'll see the same number of, of lights, the same number of stairs, the same number of of uh, um, uh, uh, ornamental features. Um, and so this was all part of the hermetic tradition where numbers, astrology, the motions of the heavens, and ultimately geometry and alchemy actually can... Uh, um, uh, uh, be worked in and incorporated into a building's architecture. So, Frank, we're actually coming up to our first break. And you've yeah, a lovely, I, I noticed uh, that. Okay. A, a lovely little entry uh, salivating here to find out more details. So we'll take the break and we'll return with Frank Elbow and the Hermetic Code. It's Peter Tong for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M TV dot com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, where there's all sorts of information. I can hardly keep up with what is uh, happening in the world at the moment, but I'm trying to. And also to uh, www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light program and all sorts of other goodies that, that are on that particular website. I have with me today Frank Elbow, who's telling us all about the encoded aspects of the legislature building in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And you gave us a lovely little overview, Frank, before the first break, but just tell us a little bit specifically about the actual numerology that's used in the, in the building. Okay. Um, the, first of all, um, b- before introducing that, it's important to begin with what the template that he was dealing with. And for him, uh, the template for the building's design was the human body. Now, since the time of Vitruvius, which was a, a Roman archi- uh, architect and the only manual we have of temple architecture from the ancient world comes from this work that was written at around the time of Christ, um, is we get the notion that um, uh, the body is divine and used as a tableau for constructing sacred architecture. Now, this is part of, uh, among many other traditions of architecture that have been lost, uh, because for the most part in the, the Western Christian tradition, the body is seen as uh, uh, not holy. Um, now, there are certain ratios, proportions, and numbers that reappear in the body, um, and this is known as uh, the golden section or was 
devised in the 12th century as uh, by an Italian mathematician named Fibonacci. So you might have heard of the Fibonacci sequence. It's a series of numbers that begins with the number one and then goes on increasingly towards this divine proportion or divine perfection. And so it's a series of numbers that goes one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty-one. So the two previous numbers adds up to the third. Now the notion behind this is that this is the predicate for all form and phenomena in nature, whether it's the mating cycles of rabbits or the spiral shapes of ram's horns or leaf petal arrangements, nature did not use E equals MC square in order to propagate, but actually used the sequence of numbers. Now, this same sequence of numbers is incorporated in the design of the building, and it's the same sequence of numbers that's found in the proportions of the human body. So this is where he's drawing this notion from, not simply numerology like, oh, this is the, the, my name in um, uh, uh, numerical characters by Gematria, but this is a divine blueprint. This is the same blueprint that was used in the orders of creation, used in, in the formation of the body, which I'm also borrowing in the design of this building. So why the windows are placed where they are, why we have this sequence of stairs where it is, all of this is done by an already divine blueprint. And he feels that by doing that, numerically, because numerology was one of the, the, um, um, the secret uh, mystery sciences that were passed on from Hermes to the first Freemasons, and he was a Freemason. That That is just one of the kind of ingredients of the building's design, simply numerology. There are others, but on that account, this is the, the, the series that you uh, repeat. So in the case of the Golden Boy, the effigy on the dome, uh, he's exactly 13 feet. The sphinxes are exactly 13 feet. There are 13 lights down every hall, floor, and level. Uh, he's done something even more extraordinary in the interior. The Grand Staircase Hall that I mentioned uh, has a number of exactly 66.6 feet in width and 66.6 feet in length, which sounds very strange because you immediately make this association with the diabolical number of the beast from the Book of Revelation. And, um, but what it is is it's, it's part of a, a sequence of numbers that repeat in the building and is used as a way of drawing down uh, heavenly influences inside the building's design. So that's a sort of a, that's a, sort of a form of manifestation then? Yeah, well, the building is a type of talisman. That is exactly right. It's that what he's thinking is, and uh, is that if I can create a type of Sudoku puzzle that is operational, uh, uh, a, a talisman that works not simply by wearing it, but actually one in which we can walk through. And so if you can walk through this talismanic architecture and you're introduced by and, and uh, subliminally, it would uh, appear, uh, introduced to these many notions of um, uh, mystical architecture, this can have, as he believes, a reformational impact on your soul. So the culmination, as you might have experienced when you went on the tour, is when you stand in the center of the building at the pool of the Black Star where you feel this acoustic resonance in your voice that travels throughout the whole building. It's something that, you know, I can try to explain, but it's only something that can be properly experienced, and perhaps you might want to lay that out for your guests, uh, as I've done it many times myself. But even the, the dimensions of that room is a kind of uh, uh, a numerological um, uh, symphony, uh, uh, a symphony of, uh, of, of concordances, of, of notes that is meant to evoke this divine presence in the building. 
So really what happens is the numerology turns into geom- into sacred geometry, and, and I can, uh, Frank, just mention, because we, we were standing on the Black Star, and I was with a group of musicians, and so we did some toning, actually. And oh, yeah. we were talking about the fifths in the in the frequencies of the sound, and often in cathedrals and and buildings which have been built on sacred geometrical geometrical proportion, it's the sound frequencies that are missing because people don't know that's what you have to do. So this is like a, a sound echo chamber, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, and and I think you hit the nail on the head in 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 showing the the relationship between music and architecture, uh, as the ancients described it, architecture was frozen music. So you could actually take the dimensions of a properly uh, designed building and play them out as a sequence of intervals and notes. So imagine uh, listening to Mozart's magic flute played out in an architectural space. And that's what he's done. He's taken the, the rhythms of harmonious intervals that are found in everything that propagates. And he used it as a way of designing a building, which on the surface looks like other buildings. That's the great tongue-in-cheek of it all, is that it seems to carry the same resemblances as uh, um, uh, other legislative buildings, but it holds this much, much deeper story. And uh, that is pretty much in the, the Western mystery tradition in general, is that you're meant to use the faculties that we've been given to read the signs of nature. And in his case, is that the signs of nature are found in the building where laws are enacted and where else to do it. I mean, he could have made it in a library, but this, uh, for him, was uh, the best place, his, his, his greatest achievement uh, of architecture was going to be in a single building in a thriving city that uh, they expected to be rival Chicago by basically the end of, um, of, uh, of the last decade. They'd uh, anticipated that Winnipeg would be the lead center of all uh, um, uh, prosperity, trade, and travel for the continent. So that actually, didn't Mozart's happen, obviously. It <laughs> didn't happen. So Mozart's magic flute then is another alchemical transformative tool. Right, and that this is where uh, alchemy comes into it all, is that uh, we think of alchemy as this kind of, uh, and, and I know that you have a much deeper appreciation of this, but as a, you know, in, in the history of science, it's treated as this kind of, uh, um, a kind of adjunct to a precursor to real formational chemistry, that it's a kind of capricious pseudoscience that was used to dupe uh, uh, wealthy kings out of their, uh, uh, their treasury. But um, what we also know about, uh, about alchemy is that it has, it's a metaphor for moral, spiritual, ethical development. And so the, the, the myths of Greek mythology, which Isaac Newton thought were actually coded recipe books for the Philosopher's Stone, is something that the architect of this building believed were also a coded recipe for divine architecture. So if you could take the great story of, um, uh, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with or your guests with uh, the Rosicrucian tradition, but there are three great uh, texts that come out of the manifestos of the Rosicrucian tradition, and it's the third one which is most interesting. It's uh, called um, uh, The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreuz. It's in 1616 it was uh, uh, published, and uh, it tells the story of how uh, uh, architecture acts as a kind of vehicle towards finding uh, the Philosopher's Stone, and I, and and I'm certain that the architect of this building imbibed on these ideas and used his uh, uh, his building as a way to tell this alchemical layer to um, buildings' history. 
So, Frank, when you stand on the Black Star, which is at the basement, basically below the rotunda, below the dome, what are we actually supposed to be doing when we stand there? Well, enacting law. Go on. I mean, that, 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 well, simply put, it's, there are the, the two rooms in the building where, of course, the laws officially are enacted uh, is this one room that's only open once a year, the law, uh, office of the lieutenant governor, the highest appointed person of the queen in Manitoba. And the other is the legislative assembly where all the uh, uh, laws are enacted. But to me, I think that there is an even greater law that's uh, incorporated, which is in the center, the heart of the building, where when you speak from this star, you're your voice literally travels to all parts of the building. And in all parts of the building, your, your voice uh, is amplified by the musical fifth, which is produced by the dimensions of this room. So uh, to me, I feel like it's a kind of fail-safe. If your government isn't been properly purified, ward enough from evil and made more intelligent, better balanced, and altogether more civilized, as the architect hoped, and in many cases they do not operate that way, then there is one place where the public can go and meet in the center to enact law, and that is right in, in uh, the heart of the building. And I've been doing that for as long as I've been giving tours of the building and inviting the public to say, this is where the actions of this building uh, uh, are made manifest, is right here. And it's open to anybody. Nobody could ever close those doors. And one of the big issues we have here in Manitoba and Canada, Canada in general is that um, uh, the voice of uh, a subjugated people, the First Nations people of, of Canada, have never been heard. Their, their laws have never been incorporated into our official laws. And uh, that is the group of people that I work with most closely to say, here is a building which on the surface seems to have had the greatest effect in your subjugation. But I'm here to tell you that it is also a building that can be used for your benefit to include your voice and knowledge all over again. And so to me, it's like the ultimate um, transmutation, an idea that comes solely from alchemy. We think of transmutation as not simply turning base metals into gold and simply transforming one thing into another. Transmutation is from taking the vile, the dark, the most blackest substance, the soot, and transmuting that into the highest, the goldest, the, the perfection. And to me, that building has stood as a kind of symbol of, of, um, of, of horror for many First Nations people. But um, I've been inviting them to say, if you stand in this star, you'll be able to enact law, because this is what this building is meant to do. And have they started doing that? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, great. That's, that's wonderful news, Brent. Well, that's, congratulations. That's a huge step forward. Well, yeah, and in fact, it's based on, on uh, their engagement with the building that we're doing some really remarkable things. One of the things that actually short-circuited the building's architecture uh, uh, is that the cornerstone of the building, the most significant, the most important moment in the building's architecture is, um, is when they lay the cornerstone. And this was uh, the time, it's kind of like the birth date of the building. And the, the person who laid the cornerstone of the building was the general contractor who was responsible for the uh, the largest scandal in Canadian history revolving around the construction of the building and the, and the reason it's unfinished and they lost a million dollars in 1914 which enabled them not to finish it properly is because of his actions. He went to jail for it. Uh, and what we did was is that uh, uh, we brought in a team of First Nations elders who uh, uh, relayed the cornerstone spiritually uh, in the building at exactly the time, the birth date of the building astrologically. Well, we're coming up to our second break, uh, Frank. This is wonderful stuff. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. Having a fascinating discussion today with Frank Elbow, who is Discerned, decoded the legislature building in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And, and Frank, I know you've written a, a book called The Hermetic Code about this, so uh, just tell our listeners how they can either access your work or, or buy the book itself. Oh, right. Um, it's available on my, uh, my website for order, so it's simply my name, Frank Albo, A L B O, dot com. Um, and so you just scroll, I think it's believe past, um, I have a series of university courses that I offer and, um, I think it's somewhere in there. <laughs> I rarely visit my, my website myself, but I'm certain that there is a place in there where you can get a signed book and I sign it and send it to you wherever you are. I think one of the most important things, we're talking specifically about this building, but within the discussion that we're having, it's important for the listeners to understand that you can work with these energies, these vibrations, wherever you are on the planet. We just happen to have this magnificent building anchored in the center of uh, North America to work with. But there are mm-hmm. other buildings, there are natural situations that you can create your own container. And, and Frank, I now want to move on because we've passed over it fairly quickly because I know in King Solomon's Temple, the mm-hmm. Probably the most um, important room is the Holy of Holies, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. So yes. tell us what you've discovered about the Holy of Holies and the Ark here in this building. Well, the um, uh, Solomon's Temple was a very important um, uh, template, like a kind of palimpsest for the, the architect. Um, and the, uh, the room that I mentioned um, that corresponds exactly to the dimensions of the Holy of Holies is um, the Lieutenant Governor's room. Now, directly above that room on the east side is a rather curious um, uh, statuary artifact, as it were, and it features a Native American warrior on one side, who's winged, uh, and on the other side, a Roman centurion, and they flank this chest, uh, which is officially called the war chest. Now, uh, to me, I I, uh, discerned that this was a reference to the Holy of Holies in the, uh, um, sorry, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Uh, now, and the reason I found that, even though I'd studied the for many years, is that it was uh, veiled behind this uh, ornately woven blue curtain that's inside the building. 
and uh, to me this was all indicative of these uh, these elements that are recorded in the Book of Kings as to how you would find the Ark. Um, now that particular chest has not been opened. I know that it is hollow and it contains something. I believe it's actually the original building plans. I do not think it's the original Ark of the Covenant, as some people might think that I think. Uh, I, I think it's a representation of it. But uh, even more so um, is what I found remarkable, is that uh, among the Anishinaabe, which is a, a large First Nations group here in Manitoba, is that they had a prophecy that a uh, uh, a chest with laws would be opened uh, in the coming age, and it would be opened by the help of uh, a First Nations elder and a, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, um, uh, an Agichita white man. Uh, so uh, in this prophecy, the, uh, the, the laws of the First Nations people, which are these seven sacred laws, would be uh, introduced and open to the world. And, um, and so for my friend who, who looked at this, this statuary group, it wasn't simply uh, the Ark of the Covenant or a representation of it. It was actually a, a, a symbol a confirmation of this Anishinaabe prophecy, and he um, uh, uh, believes that I represent one figure on the one side, and he represents the other, and so it's now our destiny to bring these laws not only into that building, but into other buildings, and this is something that we've uh, set out to do. Um, perhaps uh, we're, we're um, making requests to have a visit to uh, the Vatican and countless other buildings to invert basically transmutate some of their architecture as well, because on the surface, the architecture is absolutely stunning. The difficulty is what actually happens inside the buildings that we need to ameliorate. Absolutely. So, so from my understanding of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the tablets that were inside the, uh, mm -hmm. the Ark were actually more important than the Ark itself. It was the container, and those mm -hmm. tablets were the law. I mean, one of the beliefs is that Moses' laws of the tablets were inside. But again, yes. I, as far as Hermes is concerned, for me, it's to do with the emerald tablet, which is beyond, in my understanding, beyond the laws of Moses, and, and it is the true mm -hmm. law of, of consciousness. So accessing those plans, it seems to me that they're going to contain the original law. Well, that that's a, a very evocative idea, and I, I love to champion that. Um, and, you know, it, uh, biblically speaking, it is actually the chest that is considered to have all the power. Uh, um, and, uh, for instance, on the, what's known as the mercy seat is that if there was an uh, iconographical representation of the Old Testament God, it was represented in as the ark itself, not even the, con the contained elements inside, which to me, I think, uh, as you uh, pointed out, are the more important element is the um, uh, the laws inside. So just to, to be clear then, so the, the native Indian uh, and the Roman so the centurion, they are like the cherubim angels on the top of the ark. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I should have made that more clear, but yes. And people think of the, the, the cherubim uh, on the ark as being these cute, pudgy angels from Renaissance antiquity, and that is not at all what they are. Cherubim were fierce warriors, protectors of God's majesty. They, they, they protect the, uh, um, uh, the tree of knowledge, for instance, in the Garden of Eden. And um, uh, we know uh, by artistic representation that uh, uh, the, the cherubim derived from uh, uh, a very old Babylonian Egyptian notion of these two uh, uh, principal attendants that uh, appear at the gateways to uh, the most holy places. 
let's let's go back to the alchemy a little bit, and let's go up to the the dome on the top and the golden boy. And there are four mm. sets of uh, sculptures on the base of the dome, and I and I'm guessing what they represent, uh, which is probably not what the official line is. And then there's golden boy on the top itself. So, from, what have you discovered about the actual dome itself? Right. Well, um, on the the top of the copper dome is um, the, the golden boy Hermes, and uh, at the base of this dome are these four uh, sculptural groups which represent uh, earth, air, water, and fire. And you could see these elements quite uh, prominently in uh, symbolically right in the front of, uh, of each of them that either carry one of these elements in their hands or they're at their feet. Now, uh, to me, I thought this was uh, uh, very suggestive of the uh, alchemical process whereby um, the Philosopher's Stone could only be uh, contained by uh, uh, having command over, or in some cases, extracting the soul of the four elements. And in the process of doing that, that would lead you to the mysterious substance known as the fifth element, or the quintessence, and overly used words in our vocabulary with people unknowing that it comes straight out of the alchemical tradition, quintessence. Uh, so the fifth element was seen as or described as spiritual mercury. And then and only then can you turn base metals into gold, of course. So if you have these four uh, elements surrounding the golden boy, a.k.a. Hermes or mercury, spiritual mercury, the reason that he is in gold, at least according to my reading, is that he represents the final process of the fifth element. And he, to me, represents what we go through when we walk through the building, is that you too go through a type of transformation. Transformation, and uh, uh, and that ultimate transformation happens right in the center of the pool of the black star. Now, I'll give you a little uh, 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 funny anecdotal story to this. But last year, when Her Majesty uh, came on a royal tour to Canada, I was asked by the Protocol Office of Canada to provide a tour to Her Majesty and her royal attendants, which I did. Uh, it happened to be the hottest day of the year. Uh, she uh, um, uh, was not in attendance, but everybody else from her staff was. Um, and when we concluded the tour, there was one person who throughout, who I later found out was um, uh, her uh, lady of the bedchamber, her lady-in-waiting, her very close friend, uh, Lady Farnham, uh, came with me on uh, and, and pretty much preempted all of the things that I would normally mention on a tour. She would say, well, where, where would we find Hermes? And, how would, and she just happened to know all of these elements. And when I brought her into the pool of the Black Star and she stood in the center, uh, she started saying so many very funny things that I thought I, this is the last thing I would expect her to, to say. But she was talking about Euclid's elements and Pythagoras and the harmony of the spheres and Hermes Trismegistus. And then afterwards, I asked her how on earth she knew any of that. And she told me it was because her husband was very much interested uh, in that and that her grandfather among with other uh, royal attendants, came to Winnipeg as part of a, an entourage about a, um, in the eight, 1930s to uh, be, uh, participate in, in uh, an interesting ceremony that she had some photographic evidence of in, uh, at Buckingham Palace. Now, I haven't been able to confirm whether this is so, but I can't imagine that she's just made it up. Um, and so there's a really interesting connection there between uh, Manitoba and the royal family. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, normally, when 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 you have a dome, um, for the spiritual energy to be uh, sort of uh, frothed up to be enlivened, you need an obelisk as well. What 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 uh, what is the obelisk in this uh, setup? Well, there is an obelisk on the um, uh, northeast corner of the grounds. Uh, there was initially supposed to be two. 
but because of this massive scandal, um, uh, the budget just uh, no longer uh, made that available. So on the northeast corner of the grounds, there's a, a, a giant obelisk that crowns into a bust of Jacques Cartier, who is a great um, um, uh, discoverer of, uh, of Canada. But it's not an obvious obelisk, as, as many other sites are, like the, the Washington Monument and the... And the no, and there is another London. obelisk, uh, uh, curiously, right in front of the building uh, along Memorial Boulevard, uh, which is uh, known as simply the World War I cenotaph, but uh, it's clearly designed as an obelisk, and we know this because the same people that designed the mall that led to the Manitoba Legislative Building were the same people responsible for designing the mall in Washington, D.C., which has a similar layout with an obelisk crowning to the state capitol in D.C. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, Masons, and I noticed that Robbie Burns makes an appearance in the grounds as well, so I'm assuming there's a connection to the Scottish uh, Rites Freemasonry there. Uh, I haven't found any uh, uh, Scottish Rites Freemasonry in, in the building. I think it's it's uh, principally just the craft degrees, so the first three degrees, uh, apprentice, fellow craft, and master. Uh, but more interestingly is that, uh, and I think this is the ruling uh, uh, template, is mostly the, tr- the hermetic tradition, which engulfs uh, uh, Freemasonry and Brazicrucianism and uh, um, uh, esotericism in general. So uh, the architect was chiefly interested in, in uh, hermetic knowledge, but he'd also uh, joined many other... The, you probably heard these uh, dogs barking, and that's simply because the mailman has arrived. And they're, uh, <laughs> I, I have my own uh, attendants. Uh, which we're coming up to our final break, so it's actually a great time, Frank, to, to okay. take this break. And we'll return with Frank Elbow in a moment. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. In these changing times, the journey toward global consciousness has never been more important. TV is the first online video library dedicated to support your journey toward global and personal discovery. Our viewers enjoy unlimited access to our vast selection of inspiring interviews, engaging films, and award-winning wellness videos. And we invite you to try it for free. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to start your free trial. The journey starts now. That's G-A-I-A-M-TV.com. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're 
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. We, as you know, are taking a sacred site trip to France in September, and it seems to me this is becoming a very significant part of our work. There are one or two spots remaining. If you would like to go, please make contact through www.celticmysticaljourneys.com, and I'll be going with a wonderful Irishman, Finbar Ross, with a group of about 25 people uh, traveling through the sacred sites of the Mary Magdalene country of southern France and ending up in Chartres Cathedral which, like the legislature building here, has got tremendous uh, geometric balance internally and also ending up in, in Paris. So www.celticmysticaljourneys if you're interested in that journey. Having me today, Frank Elbow, who's been giving us some fascinating insight into the legislature building in Manitoba, uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And Frank, one of the things that struck me as I walked around both inside and outside the building was there's a very strong feminine uh, presence, almost pioneering feminine energy. What, what would you like to say about that? Um, yes, I think this is one of the, the great balances of the building. For instance, you pointed out earlier um, uh, during the break that on the opposite side of this chest uh, that is officially called war is another chest, which is uh, a chest flanked by two feminine w- uh, women and known as the, the peace chest. And so everything that had been incorporated in the building's design is all based on the principle of balance. And so there is an equal um, uh, amount of uh, in fact, I would even think uh, uh, an even stronger presence of um, uh, the feminine than even um, any uh, uh, masculine pretension in the building. So when you stand on the star, for instance, this is the oldest emblem that we have to represent the great uh, queen of heaven, as it were, known by countless names, but from Venus to Astarte. Um, and uh, when you walk into the building, the very crowning feature inside the pediment is um, uh, this this woman, uh, this maiden dressed in, in the garb of the Magna Mater, the Great Mother from uh, the ancient um, uh, Mediterranean world. So you have a lot of uh, association of that side also in the building. Now, I just wanted to mention, you've you reminded me actually about that, that pediment where you've got the, the Manitoba woman in the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember reading somewhere that Lord Dufferin, um, who I think was one of the early uh, governors of Canada, talked about um, Winnipeg being the keystone of Canada and, and it ma- sort of imagine this arch reaching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean over the whole of Canada with the That's keystone right. Uh, emplaced in the arch, which again is a Masonic symbolism. What, what is the, in, in terms of the Masons, what is the significance of that keystone? Well, um, the, the keystone is a hugely significant, uh, significant in uh, Masonic lore, but uh, in terms of the, the, the building's program, is this, this representation of Manitoba in this, in this way it has to be read in the same way that we think of Columbia in the United States or the Statue of Liberty or Britannia in, in Great Britain is this symbolic uh, um, woman representing all the aspirations of all the people. Um, and uh, and so her presence there as the keystone, and as Dufferin pointed out, is that they anticipated that because of Winnipeg's central location, because of the great wealth 
of Manitoba, which is found in its vital resources in the earth, that uh, it was the wheat, the the minerals, the gold, the, the the great resources that are found in the bosom of Manitoba, the earth of Manitoba, which would lead its uh, prosperity forward. And I also just wanted to mention as well that you've, the famous five in the grounds, Nellie McClung is, is who ended up in Victoria, actually, where I'm from, and, and were very um, involved in getting the vote for women here. In fact, Manitoba was the first uh, province to have women votes, right? <laughs> I didn't know. I did not know that. <laughs> but uh, thank you for pointing it out. <laughs> well, I found something. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I'm very, you know, because of the work I do, I'm very aware of this return of the sacred feminine. So to, to see these elements within the building and outside the building, um, for me, was just remarkable. So I also yeah. wanted to ask you, what, what do the current politicians think about all this? Are they joining in? Are they, are they enacting the law or are they just carrying on in their merry way? That's, uh, that's a very good question. I do have, uh, I'm either persona non grata or I'm, uh, have some great, um, uh, uh, champions who, who want to see, uh, more of this incorporated, uh, more, uh, more of this understood by the people that actually officially enact the law. So, um, um, I, I, I've had, uh, support by the, the, the last premier and also the current one. Um, and I think that it's just simply an unstoppable force, whether they like it or not. So, um, I, I'm really not too concerned with, um, uh, how it's received by them. <laughs> Well, I totally agree with you there. I think I think it's game over. I think that I think it's all breaking out, and there's, there's no. It's unstoppable. The energy that I'm experiencing as this all evolves and grows is so. It's happening so brilliantly and synchronistically and wonderfully. I, I, there's no there's no stopping it. So let me give you a chance just to talk uh, a couple of minutes because obviously you're a highly intelligent guy who's done unbelievable work. So what is the bigger picture in your perspective? What's going on here? Um, yeah, I think that it is about um, um, an awakening of sorts, and for me, that that awakening is principally tied to uh, the uh, sovereignty and uh, attention that needs to be placed on this. The, to me, the greatest issue in Canada, uh, which is the voice uh, and inclusion of the First Nations people. So, for me, this building is acting as a uh, an instrument to reintroduce and requalify and show the great. Uh, uh, spirit and uh, uh, the wonderful gifts that uh, the First Nations people that have lived here for thousands of years and have not had an opportunity to share their uh, their wisdom and knowledge, and that um, so I'm committed to that. So for me, the larger picture picture is uh, is completely tied to uh, First Nations sovereignty. And, and how do you see that playing out? Uh, I do. I, I I I believe it's it's the uh, it's the destiny of uh, of Manitoba to spearhead that. And of course, Louis Riel was very much involved. Um, of in course, that. <laughs> I know. I did uh, see but, it all so talk, a bit about, talk a bit about I, it because maybe our listeners don't know much about Louis Riel, but he it's going back to him in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I think that it is, it's uh, fulfilling his um, uh, initial great rebellion, which unfortunately led in his demise and was treated mostly as a um, um, a kind of, um, yeah, uh, a, a political rebellion. But uh, we're, we're not going to go about it that way. Uh, the First Nations people of this country are going to have a proper voice, and that's going to happen on uh, on their grounds. And we feel that if there were a people to guide us out of this this mire, it's the people that have had the closest relationship with the earth. They have an undying, unyielding, uh, uh, 
deep, deep love and reverence for the earth. And I think that's what we need more than anything, more than anything, more than, you know, dealing with the bank failures and whatnot, is that we need to treat the earth in partnership with everything we do. And it turns out we've had custodians that see the earth in that way and always have. And they have uh, this amazing lexicon of knowledge in ceremony, in, in, in ritual, in, in building that closer connection and proximity with the earth. Uh, so let's try to uh, uh, give them an opportunity to uh, lead the way. There's a, uh, a statement in the Gospels, which I feel actually uh, uh, applies to them, uh, where Jesus tells us that the meek shall inherit the earth. And I can't think of another group of people that have been more meek than um, uh, uh, these indigenous people. And when they approach the the building, and obviously that they're, they're, they're tuned in uh, in their own way, connected as you say so strongly with the earth, what, what what is their sense of the building from a from a intuitive feeling perspective as opposed to an academic one? Well, initially it was always with uh, great fear and trepidation, and uh, in fact, most of them abhor the building, what it stands for, and 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 what it's been used to to represent. And so what I'm trying to do is completely alchemically re-invert that, is to, to turn it around and saying, actually, it can be just like a telescope, like a, uh, an instrument of fire be used to um, help and, uh, and bring your voice more closer to the surface than ever before. Frank, I've absolutely enjoyed this uh, show tremendously you're doing phenomenal work and i just love the way you've linked all this academic work in and now going back to real real important basics to make a big difference in the world so congratulations on all oh, the work thank you so done. much <laughs> it doesn't feel stuff. like that all the time but uh, I, I appreciate you giving <laughs> yeah. me the opportunity to share well that's fantastic thank you so much so my guest today was Frank Elbow, the hermetic code, www.frankelbow.com if you wish to connect with his work, Elbow spelled A-L-B-O. My guest next week is Bets Danko, who was an indigo child who suffered all the challenges of knowing more than she was supposed to as a child. Now she's grown up and helps other indigo children and even uh, adults who have struggled in their lives with the way in which they've been treated in the world. It'll be another interesting show. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.